Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we aim to inspire you, to connect you with like-minded colleagues, to innovate and push you out of your comfort zone, to create robust debate, to encourage lifelong learning, and to empower you to create more impact as a dietitian. Dietitian Connection acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters this podcast is recorded on. Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast. I'm Brooke Delfino from Dietitian Connection and I'm an accredited practicing dietitian. This podcast is not and is not intended to be medical advice, which should be tailored to your individual circumstances. This podcast is for your information only, and we advise that you exercise your own judgment before deciding to use the information provided. Professional medical advice should be obtained before taking action. Let's get started. It's February, which means it's Gut Health Month, an entire month for dietitians to upskill on the latest science in gut health and raise awareness of why good gut health is a game changer for their patients, clients, and the wider community. Today, we're diving into the very fascinating connection between gut health and women's health and well-being, particularly in the pre- and post-menopausal years. Joining us today is dietitian Chloe McLeod, who is an expert at helping her clients bridge the gaps in their nutrition so they can be their healthiest selves. Chloe wears many hats. She's the founder of nutrition consultancy Verde Nutrition Co., having previously led multiple successful businesses in the nutrition space. Chloe was also Head of Nutrition at the Parramatta Eels National Rugby League team for five seasons and has collaborated with multiple businesses and individuals, all with a focus on helping achieve specific outcomes by optimising nutrition. Most recently, Chloe is an ambassador for the Gut Foundation to help spread the word of great gut health. Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, Chloe. Thanks so much for having me, Brooke. I'm really excited to be here today. Well, I want to dive straight in because we have got a lot to talk about today. We do. <laughs> Start very simply, how does gut health impact a women's overall health and well-being? This is such a great question and part of me is also a little bit like, well, where do we start? Where um, do we start? <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, we know that there is a really known correlation between our gut health and, and multiple other health issues that um, that women and men in some instances as well, but in particularly women today will experience. So for example, we might be looking at things like PCOS, um, osteoarthritis, certain types of cancers, um, and you know, heart disease. There's all these different things that can be impacted by what's going on with the health of our gut. And we also know that the composition of our microbiome is a little bit different when we look at females to males, in particular when, when we look at what's going on in those and perimenopausal years. So part of me is like, well, you know, we could, there's so many different avenues we could take with this specific question. But I think the main thing we need to look at is what can, like, how can we think about our gut health in a positive way and how can it positively impact a woman's health and well-being? So there's certain things that we can do which will um, optimise the health of the gut and um, help women be at their best and perform at their best. Now, I know a little bit later we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of that, um, but I, one of the, the, there's a few things that I really wanted to call out 
in this particular space. So as I mentioned, there are those differences between men and women. And in particular, if we look at the mix of bifidobacterium and lactobacillus strains that we see in a women's gut versus a male's gut. And in particular, we've seen that because of the differences that we see here, we see differences in vascular function and differences in arterial stiffness impacts on obesity, particularly in most postmenopausal women. Um, so it really shows that fostering healthy gut and feeding a healthy gut becomes so important as we age um, through the different phases of our life. Yeah, and, and you mentioned a range of different health conditions there, and it just really shows that our overall health, it really does begin very much in the health of our gut and our and, and what's happening there. So what are some of those, those key strategies that we can use to optimise gut health and how do they kind of apply for women across all ages and activity levels? Yeah, so I think, you know, if we look at some of the um, some of the key things that we can do. Some of it is really looking at the basics, which I'm sure um, those who are tuning in today probably know a lot of already. So things like eating adequate fiber, having those at least 30 different plants um, across the week, um, adequate fluid intake, adequate physical activity, um, ensuring that we're in particular eating enough protein as well. When we're looking at that perimenopausal phase to help with um, sustaining muscle mass, looking at these specific things are really the the, you know, the base of the pyramid, I suppose, when it comes to optimizing the health of your gut. And, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, if you're 10 or if you're 80 or, you know, outside of those ages or somewhere in the middle, the more that you can sort of follow the guidelines for your particular age group, um, whether you're male or female as well, um, the, the better health outcomes you're going to see when it comes to improving your gut health. I do think I um, just want to add there one of the things that I think in particularly perimenopausal and postmenopausal women can do is look at um, enhancing prebiotic fiber consumption. Um, we know that having lots of short chain fatty acids being formed within your gut can have some incredible health outcomes, um, in particular in relation to um, reducing risk of certain health conditions, such as the ones I mentioned earlier, as well as helping manage other health conditions as well. So um, that consumption of the prebiotic fiber is particularly important. Very, very important one. And I want to talk about food in a little bit more detail. So we'll come back to this because I think it's mm -hmm. important. You know, we talk about fiber a lot, but understanding these different types of fiber, especially in relation to gut health. I want to talk about stress a little bit because stress is such a big part of modern life, especially for busy women. I think you and I can probably both attest. <laughs> As we were chatting before we hit record. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're, you know, with stress, we're always stressed, you know, busy, busy, busy. But how does stress affect gut health? It has to. Everything affects our gut health. Yeah. How does stress impacted? It's such a great question. So when we look at whether it's physical stress or whether it's psychological stress, we know that it does actually alter the gut-brain axis activity and it can actually cause intestinal barrier dysfunction um, and as a result of that have, an, have a negative impact on um, cognitive and mood impairments um, as a result of what's going on in your gut. Now, we can't avoid stress and stress I actually think often comes under this negative light. Stress can actually be a really positive thing as well. It depends on how you use it and how your body is or how you're managing it in your body as well. So yes, chronic physical and psychological stress can have these negative health impacts. Um, but at the same time, 
what can we do to help with managing that? So we know that that exposure to stress activates these other stress responses which are going on. Um, we know that there are you know, certain stressful events that can happen that can then change um, what's going on in our microbiome. And I was doing some reading, getting ready, ready for our chat today, and, and a paper that came up was around um, COVID and the impact that that has had on stress in women. And, and this paper in particular was really interesting and I'll make sure you've got a link to it so you can have a read through, but it actually showed that stressful events can um, cause the, you know, depression, anxiety, et cetera, but it can actually also change what's going on in the microbiome as well. So it can cause this dysbiosis, which then can feed into it. So it can end up disrupting the microbiome as well. And this particular paper was looking at, you know, things that happened back in back in 2020 and 2021. And um, it really showed how these stressful life events can have a big impact. That said, though, obviously, as I said, stress is a huge part of life for all of us and we can't escape it. So it comes back to how we manage that. And there's so many nutritional strategies that we can use to help women better cope with stress and our bodies physiologically better manage stress as well. And part of that is, you know, what I touched on before with the fiber, the prebiotic fiber, the plant diversity, the omega-3 fatty acids, all of that side of things. And, and we'll go into more detail on that. But incorporating these things, it's not just about eating healthily. It can actually have a really clinical um, significant impact on how um, we are coping and how our bodies are physically coping with the stress that we're under on a day-to-day -day basis. And, you know, that's whether it's, you know, managing running around our running around after young kids as, as we were talking about earlier or you know managing what's happening as you know we're changing hormonally as we as we move through the stages of life whether it's managing work stress whatever it is that's going on these nutritional strategies can independently help your body manage stress more effectively I love this concept. I think it's a really um, forgotten part of nutrition and we often think about nutrition and our physical health and we forget about that I or I think a lot of the time the public and people don't understand that that connection and it all comes back down to that that gut brain connection and that that pathway that we know so much more about now so a really fascinating point there we've recently seen quite a bit of a spotlight on perimenopause I mean you've touched on it just before what do women need to be a little bit mindful of when they reach perimenopause, especially in terms of gut health, mood, and well-being? Yeah, so through you know, as we're transitioning through this phase of life, we do need to be mindful that you know all of all females are at increased vulnerability to gut symptoms during perimenopause, menopause, and and as they move on further from that. So there's the gut symptom side of things, experiencing cognitive decline, increased risk of depressive symptoms, increased risk of depressive disorders as well, increased risk of elevated cholesterol and heart issues. It's um, I was speaking with, with a client last week, actually, and, and she's like, so basically any symptom that I have could be linked to me now being in perimenopause. I'm like... Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Pretty much. <laughs> um, I'm like, when you put it like that... Um, I think, though, it's important to remember that, all yes, all of these symptoms can be linked, but in a way, how great is it that they can be linked because what can we do to then manage that? Because, you know, you can't manage what you don't know and if you know that maybe cholesterol has gone up and you could link that back to where you're at in life and you know that you've been not feeling like yourself um, mentally 
and then you realize hang on a second maybe I have moved into that perimenopausal phase it makes it suddenly makes it a lot easier to manage and suddenly it's not you it's your hormones and I think with a lot of the women I speak to being able to talk about it in that way that it's you know it's not that you know yes you're feeling depressed and yes you're feeling anxious and, and there's all these other things that are going on but it's also part of the life stage and how can we manage this life stage because I think there's sometimes um a lot of shame attached to what's wrong with me why am I feeling like this and it's, there's nothing wrong with you it's just the life stage that you're in and we can manage it and I think when we're talking to our clients and talking to our patients it's really important that we talk about this in those terms to help them feel more empowered and and able to manage what's happening to them and to their bodies and to their lives feeling empowered is such an important phrase for this stage because it can feel um very out of control for some women who have maybe felt a certain way about their bodies for a long time and felt quite comfortable or, you know, and then suddenly having these feelings that things are not feeling right, things are feeling out of control, um, those depressive symptoms. And it can go for many years. It's not exactly really a quick stage. So um, talking about it and bringing light to it and then finding these strategies and solutions that can help is such a wonderful thing we can offer to clients. Um, so let's talk about food. And we've touched on this a little bit and I want to get there now. So are there any specific nutrients or gut-friendly fruit foods that become more important or particularly important during perimenopause? And we'll talk about menopause and beyond a little bit later, but let's start yeah, with sure. perimenopause. Yeah, for sure. So I think one of the things I want to start out with is um, particularly as we're talking about gut health and gut friendly and gut symptoms is, you know, gut symptoms similar to symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome are really uh, common through this phase. And it can be really tempting to go on elimination, go on an elimination diet or have clients who have already put themselves on an elimination diet. My advice here is to actually not do that because it's not it's unlikely it's a food intolerance. It's more likely that it's hormones that are causing those issues. So removing foods is unnecessary and potentially detrimental. So we don't want to start to remove things unless we really need to. And, and I think that's a really important thing for us dietitians to remember because sometimes it can be quite tempting to be like, oh, this could fix it, this could fix it. And it might, but it probably won't. So it's particularly when it's more hormonal related. So a really important thing to remember that. One of the things that I think can be really helpful is looking at short chain fatty acid production. And we know that the best way to have these being produced within your gut is increasing your consumption of prebiotic fibers. Um, we know that um, incorporating these things, so things like your onions, your garlic, um, leeks, legumes, wheat, you know, a lot of your high FODMAP foods, um, as well as, you know, plenty of other lower FODMAP foods, extra virgin olive oil is a really good one as well. Um, oily fish is another really good one because of the impact that can have on short-chain short, short fatty acid production as well. But incorporating more of these things in can help with that production, and we know that that has a direct impact on reduced um, disease risk of a whole host of different health conditions, you know, everything from bowel cancer to heart disease to, you know, certain other inflammatory conditions that might be happening underlying. Um, all of these things can have a really positive impact. And because of that, if we can get more short-term fatty acids being produced, this can help with managing the symptoms as well as reducing disease risk in other areas as well. I think on top of that, um, a lot of the time 
women again particularly in this phase of life will start to try to reduce carbohydrate intake in an effort to try to lose weight and this is actually the last thing you want to do so yes you don't need to overdo it but still incorporating plenty of good quality low gi and minimally processed carbohydrates and provide your body with the fuel that they need um they mean it means that you're um, more able to have the energy that you need throughout the day um to to both manage um physically and mentally with what's going on and you know it can also help with managing um insulin resistance and all that sort of stuff as well so um whilst it can be a bit of a trend to cut it out um, it can have a quite negative impact on your gut health to cut them out as well um part, part be part of that is because of the fiber that they contain so important to include those um, important as well to think about bone mass. So um, vitamin D, calcium, really important. Um, Provitella, um, sort of organism which is found in your gut, has been shown to um, help with improving bone mass as well. So something else to consider there. And then, of course, making sure you're getting adequate protein. Spread it, um, especially like at intervals across the day. So not having it all at once, but spreading it in takeout in little silos across the course of the day to keep muscle protein synthesis switched on. Um, making sure you're getting the right mix of amino acids within those meals as well. Um, for example, um, making sure you've got enough leucine in your meals, particularly after your physical activity, will help with keeping those processes switched on to get the best health outcomes. And then as well, um, plenty of anthocyanins. So, you know, when we think about those, you know, blueberries, black currants, um, you know, other berries, you know, most of your, like all of your, like, you know, more purple fruits, leafy greens, all of those sorts of things. So um, they can help with improving um, inflammation as well as improving um, cognitive function and health outcomes as well. So, you know, there's different, different foods, different, um, products that are around to help with those sorts of things which is certainly worth looking into with this client group yeah that was such an interesting answer especially because it really highlights the importance of seeing a dietitian at this stage in life because somebody can be coming or, or, or maybe not coming to us at this stage but somebody can have what they may perceive as uh, IBS symptoms they've maybe put on weight and trying to lose a little bit of weight and could potentially be doing things and removing foods and removing whole food groups that can actually be of benefit to their gut health in this stage. So a really, really important reminder of how a dietitian can help to, you know, not just take out these whole food groups and not just, you know, cut things out for a quick fix, but actually adding some of those, as you mentioned, some of those FODMAP foods, which might seem counterintuitive to some people, um, can really help to improve the health of your gut at this stage, this very important stage of life. So such a such an in, in, a good reminder there. What happens to a woman's gut health and how does it change once they enter and then pass through menopause? What's happening inside our guts at this stage? Yeah, this is such an interesting question, Brooke. So I think if we think about what's going on with the with our gut and our microbiome composition over the course of your lifetime, we generally see large shifts happening at a couple of times throughout your life. So during your early life, being like a one or two-year-old, so as a baby, so going from breast milk to food. So that's when you'll see probably the first really big shift and change in microbiome is when you go from breast milk to, to food. And um, then as you get older, um, we see more transitions happen. But essentially looking at your microbiome diversity, that seems to plateau around the age of 40. And so that's, you know, 
approximately the age that a lot of women will start to enter that perimenopausal phase and and start to move um, into that um, menopausal phase of life. Um, we know that menopause specifically, like once you're in um, in menopause, it is associated with a lower microbial diversity. So we start to see less species present within the gut um, once you're in that phase of life. And so then we start to see some quite marked differences in the microbiome and metabolites that might be, um, might be developed and um, what happens when we compare premenopausal and postmenopausal women. So I think it's a really important thing to consider here because, you know, thinking about those changes that might be happening within the microbiome, it's probably not the first protocol that a lot of people are thinking about. It's um, more around some of the symptoms that they're experiencing, but maybe part of the reason for that is because of the changes that are happening within the microbiome and that change in the diversity that's happening. So that part of that is speculation though, to be honest. So, you know, we do need more research particularly in females within these um, these phases of life where we can see what's happening so that we can start to provide some better information and better advice. Because, um, you know, if we look at, for example, um, short-chain fatty acid production, and if we compare postmenopausal women with um, men who are of the same age, we can see that in women there is actually lower abundance of short-chain fatty acid-producing bacteria in the females compared to the males. And this seems to be a quite clear gender difference. Um, you know, we could put that down to lots of different things, but most likely it's due to the hormonal changes that are going on. But it's an important thing for us to be aware of because then when we're speaking to our clients, there's different things that we might need to be aware of from a um, food recommendation perspective, symptom recommendation Absolutely. perspective and so on. And let's talk about hormones. Um, you've touched on hormones a couple of times. I think this is a very fascinating area of research that we're learning a lot more about. Can you explain how some of these hormonal changes like the fluctuations in estrogen during menopause affect our gut health? And what are some of the things that women can do to help manage these changes effectively? It's a tricky one because they're sometimes things that we can only help to, you know, manage a little bit or they, they it might not at all, but what can we do, you know, to help our clients? Yeah, so I think there's a few things to be mindful of here. So we know that there is a bidirectional relationship of um, our sex hormones with our gut microbiome. So high levels of estrogen and progesterone promote increased microbial diversity. So when, as we move through menopause and these, these levels start to drop, we are going to start to see a change in that diversity that is there. And we know that postmenopausal women, um, because there's that lack of ovarian hormone production and there's those lower levels of estrogen and progesterone, we start to see um, that really significant change in microbiodiversity um, through, um, through what's going on in your microbiome through that phase. Now, what can we do? I think a lot of the time it does come back to some of the things we've already touched on. So that plant diversity piece. So eating a diverse array of different plants across the course of the week from your fruits, vegetables, legumes, nuts, seeds, whole grains, herbs and spices. So aiming for that minimum 30 across the week is a really, really great place to start. And I find when I'm talking to my clients about this, it's a really easy thing for people to understand and start to implement as well because it's so practical. Um, 
sometimes when it's like, oh, you know, you've got to eat all these different things, it's like it's actually really easy once you break it down. Um, it's And a lot of the time, is the easier you can make it for your clients, the, the more likely they're going to be able to achieve it. Um, the other parts of it, some of the things I already touched on, so the omega-3 fatty acids, the anthocyanins, um, you know, your he other healthy fats as well, not just the omega-3s, um, but making sure that you're eating this beautiful mix of different foods, which are providing your body with the nutrients that it needs so that it can perform at its best is, is what's going to help you as you're moving through these fluctuations. And just sometimes it's just going to be about modifying certain things depending on what you need as an individual. And again, that's where working with a dietitian can be so helpful. Yeah, I, I think you're right about the 30 uh, different plant foods in the week. It's, you know, it's a checklist, you know, you can put it on your fridge, you can tick it off. It's a challenge. You know, some people are very motivated by that sort of, you know, it's almost competition. How many have you had, you know, how many, how many have I had so far? Uh, mm. And when you make a couple of small changes, maybe to just how you eat a, a bowl of breakfast cereal, for example, um, a couple of small changes there can take that diversity from one or two to seven or eight. Uh, so it's quite a, a simple and practical piece of advice that we can have in our toolkits. Uh, that's obviously very much evidence-based as well and, and quite a new one. It's funny you bring up the competition thing. So I've got a, a, a like a checklist thing that I use with my clients and they'll often use it with their families and they all compete with each other to see who can get the most plants in or maybe it's like, you know, often a slightly longer, younger group, but, you know, maybe there's like a group of housemates living together and they all start to have a bit of a competition so, and it's like, you know, like the best type of competition there could be really, right? Like let's help each other be the healthiest we can be. Absolutely. I love it. I think it's fantastic. And you can only keep getting better. I mean, you know, why stop at 30? So. Exactly. So we talked about perimenopause and specific nutrients and specific foods. What about for women 50 plus? What are the specific nutrients or gut-friendly foods that women of this age group should focus on to support their gut health, but also to support their mental well-being in this stage? Yes, certainly. So there's, there's a few foods and nutrients that I really like to call out here. And some of these are also important for people in that more perimenopausal phase still as well. So this isn't just a, a 50 plus recommendation. One of the things that I want to touch on, you know, and you mentioned just before, you know, with your breakfast cereal, and, and I, it's like I nearly jumped in, but I didn't quite, um, is, so is kefir. So, you know, fermented milk, which is like a milky type yogurt, some amazing research around that and can, um, inclusion of a cup of that every day and the impact that that can have on your gut health. And if we particularly look at um, postmenopausal women, making sure that we're getting enough calcium into our diets, um, you know the demands are higher um, as we as we move all, move along um, as we age. And so, adding that cup of caffeine in is going to add those healthy bacteria which are found in it, but it's also going to add some extra protein, super important, as well as some extra calcium, also super important. So it's it's turned into one of my favorite things to recommend to, um, to women in this age group because it's just such an easy thing to add in or to, you know, to swap from whatever other milk they're having. So let's just use this in your cereal or um, in your breakfast instead and um, can have some such fantastic health outcomes. Um, vitamin D, so deficiency, as we all know, can have a negative impact on your mood in particular. And um, we know that having enough vitamin D can help with reducing the risk of that. So, and this is, you know, no matter your age or stage, plenty of vitamin D is, is going to be important regardless. But as again, as you know, maybe you're getting a bit older, maybe you're spending a little bit more time indoors, 
Um, 50, you're obviously not a bit older. I want to really be clear on that. Um, but um, but just making sure that, um, you know, you are still getting that time in the sun. And if you're not, making sure you are staying on top of your vitamin D levels because of the impact that that can have. Um, Omega-3 is hugely important for our mood, hugely important for our cognitive function and helping our brains to continue to work effectively as we get older. So there's a really cool study that was done quite recently on the impact of um, omega-3 fatty acids and emotional and cognitive behaviours during menopause transition. And it was also, it showed that um, ensuring two, oily fish two to three times per week um, or an omega-3 supplement had really positive outcomes. And that was both cognitively, but also on vasomotor systems as well. So um, particularly looking at that specific age group, a really important nutrient to note down. Um, whole grains, I think, you know, coming back to what we were talking about before, we don't want to cut them out, but start periodizing them and incorporating them when they're needed. So around your physical activity, having enough at certain times of the day and making sure you're making great choices when with the ones that you're consuming. So um, not overdoing it, not choosing less healthy ones, choose, you know, minimally processed, low GI, you know, lots of different plants, all of those sorts of things to, to get some really great health outcomes. Um, a couple of other things I wanted to pull out, um, one of them was actually creatine. So if we're looking at particular nutrients, foods, products, I'm not going to talk about brands here, um, but some really interesting evidence around using creatine and the impact that, that, that it can have on cognitive function in healthy individuals. So your brain requires creatine to function anyway. And so there's some really interesting research around supplementing with creatine and helping to restore brain energy levels so that your brain functions better. And for, for people who are in perimenopause and are experiencing brain fog or people who are in, you know, in postmenopause who um, are just wanting their brains to keep working like they always did, um, it's a really helpful one to include. I'm also going to say for any of the, you know, the dietitians tuning in who are new mums, I'm sure that there's plenty of plenty of you out there. Um, really helpful one when you're sleep deprived as well. So um, it's, an, it's another important one to include across lots of different stages of life. And then there's all your normal things, minimising saturated fats, minimising alcohol, sugar-sweetened beverages. Um, you know, there's so many different things that we can look at there. But you know, I think the the other ones that I mentioned, the, the the key ones I wanted to to call out today, and maybe the ones that we have, you know, maybe we don't always think about or we don't always use um, when when talking with clients. I think the creatine one is really interesting as well, and kefir, like such a, and it's readily available now, so it's like you know we can we can get it at the supermarket, um, which is fantastic. I think a lot of these recommendations now is not about making creating more work for our clients or our patients but offering practical no. solutions that are available uh, with maybe a very simple swap, which is what we know can be effective for behaviour change. Yeah, and and so easy to implement as well. So I, like I know for, for my clients, if it's something that's, you know, annoying to do, they're less likely to do it. I feel like that's a pretty normal behaviour trait. Um, but if it's something that's a really easy swap, that's practical, they don't have to think too hard about it, um, that's going to have a really good outcome. It's often, it makes it so much easier to do. So um, I really definitely to, to consider. There's so much happening in the world of gut health. It's very exciting. I can tell you're very excited by it. You're pulling papers out left, right and centre that you're just casually reading um, that, are, that have got, 
you know, new things coming out all the time. It feels like it's a relatively new topic in many ways, you know, for the last 10 years, we've really learned a lot more about mm. the impact gut health has on our on our health. You know, are there any emerging trends or new research that you're seeing in the field of gut health and nutrition that you think we need to keep our eye on in the next few years? What's exciting and what's new? Um, so when I was when I was doing some reading for our chat today, Brooke, I was like, okay, I've got five things that I wanted to call out, <laughs> like just five. <laughs> so one of them was the use of resistant starch in as a functional ingredient in products. I think it's going to be, I think we're going to start to see that a lot more because, you know, all our statisticians have been talking about it for years, but it's not something which is really called out specifically in products as a functional ingredient yet. So I, I think we're going to start to see that a lot more. So, I mean, resistant starch is naturally found in, you know, most of your mueslis, um, a lot of your like mueslis, muesli bars. It's in a lot of, like, it's in most of your fruits and veggies, your legumes, your nuts, seeds. It's there anyway. Um, like, you know, green banana flour, it's a really good source of it. Um, I feel like that's where it started to get a bit of airtime a few years ago and it maybe disappeared a little bit. So I think it's, I think it's going to start to come back. I think postbiotics, so, you know, we talk about pre and and probiotics a lot, but I think postbiotics are going to start to get a lot more airtime as a supplement. I know they've started to over the last couple of years, but there's been some really interesting papers come out in the past, you know, year or so in particularly around using as a supplement rather than um, what's found in food. And, you know, because they don't require living cells to induce the health effects, I think that's where they're going to be really exciting um, and potentially have some really cool um, health benefits. Um, use of symbiotics. So, you know, again, in a number of different papers, we've started to see an increase in um, use of these and the positive impact that they can have. So, again, that's going to be an interesting one. Probiotics as well. You know, I think they've had a, you know, they peaked and then they had a little bit of a, you know, we can't just recommend them all the time. We've got different functions. But they're starting to emerge more, I think, in the field of gut health because we're starting to learn more about them and learn more about certain functions of certain strains as well. So I think that's going to get more and more airtime as well as we learn more about specific ones and how we can functionally use them more effectively. And then I think, you know, fecal transplants as well. Um, hugely exciting area um, when it comes to managing various health conditions. Um bit scary I think you know I think there's a few cowboys out there um looking at so some things that I've seen but um huge potential to have some really positive health outcomes for for our patients um you know in across a variety of different areas so yeah that'd be that'd go. be my top five. here first <laughs> really fascinating I think Every single one of those points is really really interesting and lots of potential there and it's just really but, you know, wait and see what's going to happen in the next year, uh, in the next couple of years. Uh, it's really opening up our eyes a lot to yeah. this this great space and what's going to happen. And you're absolutely right. I think we're going to see a big growth in products um, with those gut benefits. So we will wait and see. All right, Chloe, to finish up, uh, what are three key messages that you want dietitians to remember from today about the relationship between gut health and active females as they age? So the first point I'd like to, to reiterate is around um, as we age, we are going to see changes in our microbiome. And that's particularly as a result of the changes in our hormones that happen because 
of what happens as we age as females. One of the things, parts of that to call out as well is around the gut symptoms that women and that your patients might be experiencing and the thought that maybe it's related to food, but it's actually more likely to be related to changes in their hormones and being mindful of that and not putting people on unnecessarily on unnecessary elimination diets. So um, just remembering that side of things. Um, the second part of it is knowing that um, there's so many different changes that we can make. So, um, you know, so many different things we can do from the plant diversity piece right up to creatine, as we were talking about before. There's huge different things that we can do to help our patients to feel better. I think the most important thing, though, is helping your clients to feel empowered, to feel listened to, because... As I touched on before, there's so many different symptoms that people can experience and almost anything that can be happening could be related back to perimenopause or menopause. And as a result, that can sometimes leave your patients feeling unheard and not listened to. Mm. So helping them to feel heard, helping them to feel listened to and helping them to feel empowered in their decision-making and their nutrition choices and how they're feeling and performing on a day-to-day basis is one of the greatest gifts that you can give them. I couldn't agree more. Really offering that um, that understanding and empowering people that what they're going through is normal in, in many ways and it's something yeah. that, you know, they're not alone. So such an important way to end, I think, today's discussion, especially about some of those topics like perimenopause and hormonal changes um, is really being very empathetic and understanding to what women are going through in this life stage. Chloe, I've had a fantastic time today. This has been really interesting. Lots and lots of practical tips here for dietitians to go home with. Lots of new things, things to look for in the horizon in terms of gut health. Uh, I think this has been a really, really interesting talk. So thank you very, very much for your time today. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks so much, Brooke. Thanks for having me. It's been lots of fun chatting to you. Thank you. And we will add a link to a couple of those papers in the show notes. So if you're wanting to read a little bit more, We'll drop those in there. And thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to support the Dietitian Connection podcast, please leave a review and a rating on the Apple Podcasts app. Tell us what you thought of this episode, what you learnt, and share your guest requests for us to consider for future episodes. We value hearing from you and we really appreciate your feedback. So please, please hit that review button.